could be used by God to impact all of eternity for somebody else. That's what we're talking about this morning. If you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, when you grab it and go to Acts chapter 1, if you need a Bible, uh, you've got one of two choices. If you're introverted, you reach in front of you and grab the Bible out of the uh, chair back in front of you. If you just like to meet somebody, raise your hand, and somebody with a Bible would bring that to you. And I just kind of like the idea of us handing out Bibles in here. Um, so grab one of those. Also, if you're new with us, you realize that we didn't, um, we didn't pass an offering plate, so that's not going to happen this morning. But we want to give you the opportunity to worship God with your tithes and offerings. We just don't want you to give under compulsion. We don't want you to give reluctantly. And so um, at the end of the service, during the response song, you'll have the opportunity to respond by taking your tithes and offerings to one of the boxes on the side. And those offering boxes are also at the uh, exit doors. And then, as always, I'd like to welcome our students in our student section. Thank you guys so much for being here. Appreciate that. So if you're a high schooler or a middle schooler in the room, and we've got a section just for you. You guys uh, sit together right, right over here. All right. Um, all right, here we go. Our very first series here at 1122, and it's called Art of the Start. And I don't know if you've ever started anything, but there's some art to it. What we're going to do over the next year and a half is we're going to walk through the Book of Acts. We're just going to do a Bible study on the Book of Acts. It's probably going to take us, you know, it takes me a long time to get through a little bit of material. And so, um, but what we're going to do is divide up the Book of Acts into a bunch of little mini-series. And so the first one is Art of the Start. And so, if you've never started anything, a family, if you've ever started a business, any kind of organization, you know there's like the, um, uh, there, there's the part that you plan. And then there's just sort of this part that it's hard to describe. There's just some art to it. I mean, you've got to have a mission. You've got to have the right people. You've got to you've got to be organized. You've got to come together. And we'll talk about those things. But there's just some art to it. In fact, some of my church planning friends have been calling me this week and said, so how did it go? How did the church plan go? And I said, well, it, it went really well. Um, last Sunday, we had 3,364 people here. So that's a pretty neat first day of church. And even, even better than that, we had 26 people over the on that day surrendered their lives to Christ. That's what we get really excited about here. So, but when they ask, like, how do you do it? How, how do you do that? I go, well, I don't, um, in fact, I had a friend go, I want to plant a church like you planted. I'm like, well, that's, I don't know how to tell you to do that. Uh, you know, find a denominational church and put a non-denominational service in it, step one. Uh, step two, find a Walmart. Step like I just, there's just some, there's just some Holy Spirit. Yes, yes, we work hard. Yes, there's help over grace. Yes, there's a plan. There's organization. But when you get right down to it, there's just kind of an art to it. And so we thought it would be a great idea as a church and as a church family. And what if, what if we did um, over this next however long it takes a year or so? What if we just studied the very first church? That's what the book of Acts is. The book of Acts is the, the story of, or the account of the very first church. And so we're going to study it verse by verse. There's 28 chapters. And again, it's not like we'll be in our Acts part 93. Uh, we'll, we'll have these mini series that really just study the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to start and be for a long time. Acts 1 1 is the first book. I'm going to stop there. That's why it takes a so long. So the first book that they're talking about is the book of Luke. Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke and Acts. So this guy named Luke, he writes them both. And so I want to jump back to the first book, to the Gospel of Luke, so that we, we can learn a little bit about who Luke is and why he is writing not only the Gospel of Luke, but also uh, the book of Acts. In Luke 1, 1 it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that 
said to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts is this guy named Luke. And what we know of Luke is Luke was a medical doctor. Luke is mentioned four times in the New Testament, and he's a medical doctor. Now, there are four Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus, and so he just wrote an eyewitness account. Um, uh, John was also a disciple of Jesus, and he is known as the disciple that Jesus loved. But the only place that he's known as the disciple that Jesus loved is in the book written by him. So you can take that however you want to. Then you've got Mark. Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, and Mark was not a disciple, but Mark was like best buds with the Apostle Peter, and so Mark um, interviewed Peter and wrote his Gospel that way. And then Luke says, Luke says, I've seen that all these other guys have written Gospels, and there are all of these accounts of what Jesus did and how the church started, but quite honestly, I find them a bit lacking. And so the way that Luke writes the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts is, um, he is more interested in facts than faith. So he takes, he, he interviews a whole bunch of eyewitnesses, and he also um, looks at some of the accounts that are already there. About 60% of the Gospel of Luke and Acts are found in the Gospel of Mark. So he obviously had access to Matthew Mark, those, those Gospels. And, um, and then he says that he investigated this stuff himself. So when people would say, um, hey, I was there, or I heard that Jesus fed 5,000 men with just a couple of fish and a, and a few loaves of bread, well, then he would say, pack up the camel, we're going to find out. I want to find the kid, Lunchable, that was given up for the feeding of the 5,000. And he would go and do his own investigative reporting. So if you are if you are a skeptic at heart, then you're going to like the book of Acts because, again, um, Luke is about proof. Luke, Luke is about certainty. And he writes it to this guy named Theophilus. Theophilus was not a Jewish guy. He was a Gentile guy. And we know that every time they talk about Theophilus, they call him, oh, excellent Theophilus, or, or, or that's what I said, his official title. He was probably a Roman governor. And Theophilus means lover of God. Lover of God. And so he was funded, Luke, this medical doctor was funded by this rich Roman governor to, to write or to investigate the claims of Jesus and uh, the events of the early church. And so you're going to see a lot of information in the Gospel of Luke in Acts about taking care of the poor, but the reason we know that we're supposed to take care of the poor is because this rich guy um, underwrites Luke's adventure to, to capture what we know about Jesus and what we know about the early church. So, back to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that, that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You see, Luke wants us to know that he's going to be talking about historical fact, not just faith, which is something that makes Christianity unique among all world religions. Um, all the other world religions were basically started on a teacher would show up and he would say, I am here from God or on behalf of God, and I'm going to show you the way or I'm going to show you a better way, and here are my teachings. And then that teacher or rabbi or prophet or whatever would die, and then um, and his followers would kind of gather together. 
Christianity is founded on, what Luke wants us to know is um, that he was crucified on the cross, dead and buried, but was resurrected from the grave, just like he said he was going, going to be. And what it just says here is he showed back up alive and in person for over 40 days, and we find out in Corinthians, with over 500 people. And so when the church first started, the church had one sermon. And it wasn't, here's how to be a better husband, and here's how to be a better friend, and here's how to not feel guilty, and here's how to forgive your enemies. The church's first message was simply this. They caught the kids flesh and dwelt among us and lived a perfect life and died a perfect substitutionary atoning death for you and me. He didn't stay dead in the grave. He was resurrected on the third day. And it's that historical event that kicks off Christianity and what you and I know as the church. And so the book of Acts and Luke, He's going to focus in on proofs, verse 4. And while staying with them, talking about the resurrected Jesus, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Underline those words in your Bible. Baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Now, that phrase we're going to talk about when it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right, you Pentecostals, relax a little bit, and Baptists don't get too nervous. We're just going to talk about what this means. Presbyterians, I know you're freaking out, all right, but don't worry. God preordained that you would hear this sermon right now, so you're okay. Um, so, a, a couple of things. First of all, as Christians, we believe in a triune God. There's one God, one true God, but we know God as God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one and you see this Trinitarian language right here. Jesus is talking about the Father sending him and that Jesus is going to unleash the Holy Spirit. And so he uses this phrase to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are, um, there tends to be kind of two camps of, of good Bible-believing Christians. Um, one camp is to just totally ignore the Holy Spirit, you know? The worship God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Bible. And they study the Bible and they read the Bible. But if a hand goes up, the deacons have to get together and vote on whether that's allowed or not in the Scripture. Even though the Scripture says raise your hand in the sanctuary. So there's kind of that camp. Then there's another camp that has sort of hijacked this phrase, um, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And whenever you hear that, some people get, you know, the Baptists get nervous because they're, they're afraid that somebody's going to come running through with a banner, you know, with a kind of glory, with a, with a tambourine. Are you ready for a miracle? You know, like that kind of thing.
morning, it would be like um, wading into a pool. If you were baptized or dip up submerged into that pool, that means that you go all in. And for you to be totally engulfed by the water doesn't mean you need more water in the pool. It just means you have not fully surrendered everything of you to God that has deposited himself in you. So the Bible means when it says, um, when in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, you are, your body is a temple. All right? Now, people like to act like that has to do with what you look like in your bikini. That has nothing to do with whether you have abs or not. Can I get an amen? All right? All the fat people, I'll be amen. What's wrong with y'all? It's your chance. All right, there you go. Testify, people. Come on. So, that's not what that means. What that means is the temple is the place where the Spirit lives. And in First Corinthians, we find out that if you're a Christian, that your body is the, is the place where the Spirit lives. So your body now becomes the temple. Therefore, I'm God in your body. And so, what Jesus is saying here is, listen, Christian, every Christian um, gets the Holy Spirit. Now, there have been some folks that sort of grab onto that language, baptized by the Holy Spirit, and try to make it some, mean something that it, that it doesn't necessarily mean. So all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Then we find out in places like 1 Corinthians 12 that we're one body and we have many different gifts. Or the same Spirit in me and you manifests himself differently in us. Just like one body has many different parts. But we're like one big body, one big church body, and we have many different gifts. And one gift is not better than any other gift. And no gift should look down on another part of the body, or no body should be jealous of another part of the body. That's just silly. God has decided what spiritual gifts you have. I have. And so, um, I've even heard Christians talk about, you know, being Christians, like being on a flight, being in a, a jumbo jet, and, and there's like a, it's like a first class section, and then there's a coach. And if you have these certain spiritual gifts, and you're in first class, and then everybody else is coach, well, that's not only is it unbiblical, it's just kind of dumb. Um, I've also heard people talk about it's kind of like a varsity and a JV. You know, everybody's playing for the same school, but there's like varsity level Christians and JV Christians. That is really, really not biblical whatsoever. Um, that we all, we all have access to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or you can think about it this way. You would be so surrendered to Jesus. You would be so surrendered to Jesus. You would be so submerged or immersed in what God is doing in your life that when the Holy Spirit came upon you or when you got that little still small voice in your life or you got that little nudge from God, you got that little you know it's Him, and you would know His voice and you would be obedient to do what God was calling you to do. Or you would be obedient to just receive God had for you to hear from your Heavenly Father. That's what it means to be baptized or washed or submerged or dunked or dipped in the Holy Spirit. Now, the Church of 1122, um, we hope we want to be a Spirit-filled church. In worship, we want to be a Spirit-filled church. We want to be weird, all right? We don't want to be weird. But, but with their, the Bible says, when the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. That's why you see people with their hands up. And, and that kind of thing. And, and if you feel led by the Spirit, this isn't like bacon or to run through with a banner and a tambourine. We're going to let you be free, kind of back there in that corner over there, okay? I mean, just going to run around and do your thing. Praise God, and we will rejoice over you just over here, okay? So there's freedom for that. But, and you know what I mean? I mean, I, I can remember in college, this is, just, this is for free. I can remember in college going to my Baptist church on Sunday morning, and it was awesome and doctrinal and great and boring and none of my parents would go with me. And then I was a part of this campus ministry on 
Again, if you want to dress up one at a time, I can stand stoically and, and welcome. And if you want to rock and roll, then again, that's your section. So, but we all, we all seek to be baptized in the Holy Spirit or immerse ourselves in the, in the working of God the Spirit in our lives. Verse 6. So, when they come together, they ask him, this is so funny, they, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, essentially, you know what they're asking? Think about this. The disciples have had their feet washed by Jesus. He predicted his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, and has come through on all those things. They are now hanging out the resurrected Jesus. Thomas didn't even believe him at first, so he had to show him, see, the nails, the nail holes and the scar in my side. So he proves himself. Um, they've experienced, I mean, this is crazy, right? The guy they've been following was dead, now he's not dead anymore. And at this point, essentially, they go, okay, Jesus, that's cool. That whole um, resurrection thing, that was awesome and neat and welcome back. But um, can we get what we want now? That's what they're asking. Because what they were looking for is they were looking for Jesus to come in and kick the authorities out of Jerusalem, the Roman authorities that were occupying their land. Would you now kick them out and put us at our rightful place as in charge of our country? Thank you very much. That's what they were looking for. It would be kind of like the church that opens up on opening day and reaches more than 3,300 people, and there's people complaining about not getting to sit in the seat that they want to. Well, I didn't get my seat. Was our first service. How did you even have a seat yet? We don't even understand that. And the nature of Christians, all right, so if you're kind of a crappy Christian, you would be, I would be a great disciple because they sort of miss the whole point and they still, even post resurrection, they're still trying to make it about them. All right, Jesus, welcome back. But now, can we get what we want? Verse 6 and then verse 7. And he says to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons of the Father. Speaks by his own authority. In other words, get over yourself. Here's what we need to be about. Verse 8 is what they need to be about. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The first evidence of a spirit filled person is evangelism. That's it. So look, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Here's what you're going to do with it. Not dance around crazy in worship. Praise God if that's what you want to do. Uh, but what you are going to do is be a witness. And a witness just means to uh, talk about something that you've experienced. Not to talk about something somebody else has experienced. Right? You can be an expert and do that. But these things call us to be experts. It calls us to be witnesses. And it says you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That means church. You are to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Not just me, not just the paid professionals, because some people think that way. Some people think, well, Pastor, what do we pay you to do? All right? My mechanic doesn't ask me to fix my car, so I thought we paid you to tell people about Jesus. Well, I promise I will. But um, this is not just, I mean, this is not the way the Lord set it up. He says, You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And so we're going to talk about witnessing. So really, what I want to do is separate the idea of witnessing from being a witness. Jesus has commanded us to share our faith publicly with, with people that he places in our lives. And I know you're getting nervous already, okay? And I understand that. I understand. We live in a culture and a climate where it is not super cool um, to share your faith. And so many of us have had people 
share their faith with us in such an awkward and goofy way that we think, hmm, I don't know if I want to do that. In fact, I read uh, this week that only 2% of Christians share their faith. And now I'm convinced that 99% of them do it in a really weird way. Are you? Have you ever been witnessed to in a way that you thought, oh, wait a minute, that, that, was, that was really cool? Well, just because, um, and look, sharing your faith is not weird, but some people are weird. And, and I think about, I think one out of three people are weird. So look to your left, so look to your right, and if those people aren't weird, Seriously, there's some really scary verses in the Bible. In Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus says, Jesus says, If you are ashamed of me and my word before men, I will be ashamed of you before your Father in heaven. So it's you and my I don't know about you, that scares me a little bit because there have been times in my life where I knew I'm supposed to talk about Jesus right now. And I'm not talking about on Sunday morning when everybody comes to church. That's kind of expected. But I'm just talking about in my personal life where.
in hell. Go, you know, that's kind of where I'd like you to go right now, but you can have your $20 thing back. Now, those people probably got, maybe they had great intentions, you know, and, and can God use people like that and stuff like that to lead people to Jesus? Yes and amen, but come on, let's go just goofy, and I want to be goofy. And I don't think you do either. Um, and, and so, I love this. One of the things that will help you in this is that, and you will receive power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. One of the things that will help you not go witnessing, because I think going witnessing kind of leads to some of the stuff we're going to look like, but to just be a witness, to just authentically point you with Jesus. Uh, one is you've got to understand where salvation comes from. That you will receive power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There's nothing you can do in your presentation to lead somebody to Jesus or to, or to you know, damn them to hell forever. Why? Because salvation is God's. And God is the only one that can save. And that should free us up that when we have the opportunity to share our faith, that we would. Um, Pastor Ryan Stone is in seminary right now. That's a preacher school. And he goes to a very, very good seminary. He goes to a Southern Baptist seminary. And I can pick on him because I am one. I was ordained Southern Baptist. And um, he was in an evangelism class, and they had a guy come into the class with all of these props on how to share your faith. I mean, they have stickers that are supposed to um, start a conversation. They have this card, and if you look at it, if you look at it this way, it says death, and then you turn your life around, and it says life. Interesting? Okay. Um, they have one. They have one technique called hand-to-hand evangelism. Sounds inviting, doesn't it? Hand to hand, I call that evangelism. And it's a way that you can use your fingers, but the person that does it does. At one point, when you're talking about sin, you're shooting the person the bird. So, anybody, anybody that, uh, like my favorite, one of my favorites, I have four favorites now. So, uh, is, is this one. This is uh, kind of like, you know, Orthodoxy for Jesus. And so, um, and let me just say, it's all theologically accurate. I totally agree with everything on all of the printed materials here, but you are a wretched black-hearted sinner. Don't you love that? But the Red Cross came. All right, that's helpful. To give you a light heart so that you can drink 7-Up, I think. All right, so. Oh, I got more. This is how to host an evangelistic block party. This nothing says the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus Christ for you and for me in the sad clown face, right? So you can get out all going and invite people over to your house and, and do that. Um, this one, this one, this is a good one. Okay. Holy Bible. I mean, how natural does this look? Oh, I, I see that you're interested in my Holy Bible here, but I'm very Funny you ask. Um, would you mind that we take a look and do the Holy Bible together? Does your life feel blank? Well, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, God's Holy Spirit is drawing you unto Himself right now. But maybe you feel like there's something missing. Well, you can surrender your life to Jesus and it can be in a living color. Ta-da! This is the advertisement for this one in the Evangelism Tool Catalog. 
people to Jesus. Because if you're like me, there's some people in your life and you would love for the people that you love to meet the God that loves you. You would love for that to happen. And if God could use you to help bridge that divide, oh, praise God, how great would that be? And if that is what it takes and you think, oh, that's not, that must not be me. Uh, here's what we're calling our church to do. If you'll grab your notes, grab your notes and just open them to the third page, the first thing that I want us to start doing is to just pray for one. To just pray for one. Over here on the right, it says pray for one, and there are two blanks there. It says one person. And so as we started talking about sharing your faith, I would ask you to write down one person's name that you would begin to pray for. Not pray about, but pray for. That you would pray that God in His sovereign grace would save that person. And that God might give you an opportunity to point that person to Jesus. Whether it's an invitation or sharing your story, we're going to talk about how you can do that later. But that you would just pray for that person. Every day you pray for that person. Now, and, and this is something I would suggest that maybe you just keep that between you and the Lord. You know, you may not want to put this one up in your um, cubicle at work. Hey, Billy, what's my name on your list? Oh, because you, you're going to hell. But, uh, I'm praying for you, so if you'll pray on me today, we'll strike through your name for Sally on there. I mean, you can come up home. Uh, that's not exactly what we're going for. But it's just out of love that, that these people that God has placed in your life, that, that God might use you to introduce them to him. But then the other thing is that we would pray for one people group. So our God is so big, and the command is that we would be witnessing witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We take teams to the ends of the earth all the time. Um, and then you would begin to pray for maybe the people in Uganda, or maybe the river people in uh, Brazil, or maybe if whatever mission trip that you're thinking about going on, that you would begin to pray for those, that people group. That God might use our church, or it doesn't matter who he uses, but that God would reach down and redeem all of those people. But that you would jot those two things down in a consistent part of your prayer life. We pray for that person and pray for that group. The second thing is that um, in, in sharing your faith, which is that you would know, you would know your story. That you would just take a little while and just think through. If somebody asked me how I became a Christian, what would I say to them? And that you could just very simply and authentically say, well, this is what my life is like, and here's how I met Jesus, and this is what life has been like since then. Now, does that mean you would answer every theological question? Probably not. Every historical question? Absolutely not. But you would know your own story. And for some of you, the way you met Jesus was a point in time. I mean, we've got an intern on our staff now, and she will tell you, I was one of the people in the service a couple years ago that raised my hand. In that moment, I received Jesus. And then there's others of you, like my wife, who grew up in church, been around church for a long, long time, and so her salvation was more of a process but in that process, she knows today that she is fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. And see, uh, uh, there are people that need to hear both of those types of stories. So you pray for one person, and you can know your story. And then you would open your eyes and open your mouth, and you would be a witness. Let me tell you this. If you start praying, dear God, give me an opportunity to share my faith, to share your love, to share how you have changed my world. Give me an opportunity to share that with these people. Guess what's going to happen? That is a prayer that God wants to answer. And if you'll open your eyes, He'll give you a chance to open your mouth. And you cannot hide behind sayings like, preach the gospel at all times and use words only when necessary. You know, it's done. 
because you're going to have to use words. Now, I know where, the, the, I know where that statement started, the, where it originated is that you need to live a, live a life that points people to Jesus too, all right? So it, it's saying, don't be a hypocrite. Don't preach with your mouth and then, and then live another life because you'll just destroy your testimony. Listen, I mean, in, in our context, you're going to have to use words. You're going to have to have a conversation with somebody about how your life can change or what the gospel is. It's not like people are just going to see you not walk into a rated R movie and go, oh, praise God, I need Jesus, because uh, Ned Flanders and his family doesn't watch those kinds of movies. That's, that's just not going to be a connection point. But you're going to have to use your mouth. Now, the thing is, too, is you've got to just figure out how the Lord put you together. Because he didn't, he didn't admire us all the same. There are different examples all throughout the scripture of people being a witness in the way that God had designed them to be a witness. And so in Acts chapter 2, there's this direct approach by the Apostle Peter. There's three thousand, there's thousands of people that show up to give the very first Christian sermon. And Peter is very direct. He preaches the most non-secret sensitive sermon ever in the history of church. He says, This Christ whom you have crucified died for you. Repent and be baptized. So there's some of you in the room that you do just want to walk up to your family members and say, hey, you're on your way to hell. We need to talk about that. And there's like three of you in here that that would work for. I would encourage you to memorize 1 Peter 3.15 and make sure there's a lot of gentleness and a lot of respect. But just by nature, I'm more of that kind of direct person. Right? I just don't mind asking people about their faith and, and just go direct. For some of you, um, the intellectual approach in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul goes to Athens city there, and he goes to Athens, and they're a very religious people, but they don't know Jesus. And so he, he knows that, he notices that there are all of these um, statues to these different religions and different gods and goddesses, and there's this one statue to the unknown God. And so the Apostle Paul starts there. He says, I see that you're a very religious people, and I see that you have this statue to an unknown God. I know that God. And he has an intellectual conversation with quotes pagan philosophy and pagan poetry to help lead people and point people to the cross. Some of you, some of you, that's the world you live in, okay? And that you can invite people in at this intellectual level to talk about morality and spirituality and philosophy and those kind of things, and then use that and harness those conversations to just authentically point people to Jesus. For some of you, it's the testimonial approach. This is the one common to all of us. In John chapter 9, there's this blind guy. Jesus is walking along, and the blind guy has to be healed. And Jesus makes some mud and puts it in his eyes and says, Go and wash your face. And the guy washes his face, and then he can see. And just like anybody who was blind and now they can see, he starts running around and telling people about it. And uh, the religious people, what they do is, uh, religious people do this a lot. Like something will happen, God will move in this magnificent way, and the religious people get together to vote on whether or not God can do what he's already done, and so that's what they do. And so they bring in this guy from John chapter 9, the blind guy who can now see, and they say, you know, tell us your story, and he goes, I was blind, and I met Jesus, and now I can see. And then they start asking him questions. Well, how did he do this? He goes, I don't know, but let me tell you what I know. I was blind, and then I met Jesus, and then I can see. And so they follow up, well, where is Jesus now? I don't know that either, but let's review one more time. I was blind, and then I met Jesus, and ta-da, look, I can see you. And so he just keeps going back 
verbalize what you believe and how Jesus has changed your life. And this is what my life was like, and this is how I met Jesus. And here's what life has been like since then. And when people say, yeah, but what about the starving children in Africa? Oh, I know, that's horrible. And I don't know. Let me tell you what I know about my relationship with the Lord. It's, it's just some of you are called just to share your story. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, we find out about the party approach. Now, students, let me tell you what this does mean. <laughs> it does mean like you're drinking out of the solo cup so you can like relate to your buddies and tell them about the Lord. What this means is in, in Luke chapter 5, Matthew, one of the disciples, um, he was a tax collector, which had its own category of sin, right? In the Bible, it's all about sinners and tax collectors. And so he throws this big party at his house, and all he does is invite all of his friends. And, and he kind of had, he, he, he didn't live two different lives, but he did live in two different worlds. And so he invited all of his tax collector friends over to his house, and he invited all of his disciple or Christian friends over to his house. And he just prayed to God and knew that um, that just naturally people would talk about the things that are important to them. So the tax collectors would talk about uh, tax collecting, and then the disciples would talk about the one that they were following. And there would be some relationships built. Some of you, especially if you have this gift of hospitality, and you seem like you have friends in all different kind of camps, uh, one of the ways God may be calling you to share your faith is just to, just to create environments where you bring those people together and watch God do His thing. Um, another is a service approach. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9, that you would take care or meet some people's physical needs so that you could earn the right to then tell them why you're doing this. Hey, I'm not serving you just for your sake, and I'm serving you because of what God has done for me. This one is a basis for a lot of what we do on the mission field. So, hey, we're not building your house just for your sake, but we're building your house for the glory of God, that He has been so generous to us that we would come to your country and build you a house so that you might be able uh, to meet Him. And then, there's the invitational approach in John chapter 4. There's this woman as well. And she is living in a life of sin. She's got she's been through a number of husbands that she has divorced, and now she's exchanging sex for rent with this guy. And she sits down with Jesus, and she's thirsty. And Jesus tells her that He is the living water, and that if she will put His put her faith or trust in Him, that she would never thirst again. And her life is changed. So she goes back to town and does what changed people do. She says, "Come and see this one who told me everything about me." It's just essentially she. She extended an invitation. Let me tell you this, 22. You're good at this. Okay, you're good at this. And, and, and I know this because of the number of people that showed up last week. And I know this because of the number of people that are here this weekend. And the reason that we started this first weekend with three services is so that we could partner with you. So that you can invite your friends and family, your co-workers, to come and see this Jesus who has changed your and what I hope you hear is the part of the reason that we do church the way we do church. First and foremost, we want to glorify God and worship and word. But we also understand that we have a partnership. You and I have a partnership. And we hope that this is the kind of environment where you can bring your friends, you can bring your family members, whether they've been a Christian for a long time or they're checking God out or this happens all the time. People that are just, I mean, they're just kind of angry or anti-God or don't even believe He exists, but for whatever reason, they would show up and walk through our doors with you, and that you would know that you could bring your friend, family member, whoever, to a safe place where they would hear a dangerous message that would ruin their lives in the best way possible. And so, we've got three services so that we wouldn't be in overflow on 
slick and polished in your presentation. This presentation never said anything. But it's the power of God speaking through the people of God who are obedient to God and He gives you that opportunity. I, I, I would rather you just pray like crazy that God would give you an opportunity to authentically point someone to the one that loves you so much. See, this week, you will not come eyeball to eyeball with any person that isn't important to God. If every person you come face to face with this week is important to God, and that God loved him so much, and God loves you so much, that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross to pay our sin debt that we should not pay. Again, of all the ways to let this world know that God loves it, he died on the cross to purchase our salvation. He has decided to plan A, really the one and only plan, that he equipped his believers, his followers with the Holy Spirit, and that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon us. We would be a witness of that we would be a witness in our homes, Jerusalem, in Judea, that be like work and school, in Samaria. Those people that you think are outside the reaches of God's salvation are not the very ends of their earth. You know, we shoot baptism videos here a lot. I don't know if you ever kind of noticed the pattern in our baptism videos, but people used to start out talking about this is what my life was like. And, and right when they start getting to that, here's how I met Jesus, they almost always mention a person's name. Like I was far from God, and then my mom or my friend invited me to church or shared with me a Bible verse. Or my, I found out that my friend was praying for me. Can you imagine what it would be like? Out of that name that you write, wrote down. If one day, if one day soon, on one of these screens, that person's face popped up in baptism. And they started saying, you know what, I was lost. I didn't even know it. I was chasing after things in this world. And I was so confused. And then my friend, me, told me about Jesus. And I showed up. Anytime I talk about sharing faith, I, I can't help but think about where my life would be without Coach Golden and J.D. And what if? And what if? I always think about what if? What if he said, well, you know what? I can't talk about my faith to students because, I mean, people might look down on that. I think mean, you need to pass the laws about that. But instead, with gentleness, not a lot of gentleness, but a lot of respect. <laughs> you know what he did? He received power when the Holy Spirit came upon him.
with ordinary men and women like us to share an extraordinary message. And Holy Spirit, we need your power because we can't do this all on our own. God, we thank you that you say, not us. So God, we pray that in our efforts this week to be open and honest and authentic just about what you've done in our lives, God, that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Now we're in the part of our service where we are called to respond what the Bible says we're to do, that when you hear the Word of God, that you respond, and there's many ways to respond. All of us are going to sing. You're going to sing like you mean it. But some of you need to respond by coming down to the altar and praying for that one person that needs to know Jesus. And uh, also, many of us are going to respond by honoring God with our tithes and offerings, and you do 